0: Today, we're talking about this monster cop who got revenge on his ex by having her involuntarily committed. We just learned how overwhelmingly powerful Mr. Beast is now. The Writers Guild scored absolutely massive, game-changing wins. Poland's trying to extradite that Nazi that Canada honored in its parliament. We deep dive into how horrible soldier living conditions have gotten. We've got wild looting in Philly. We're talking about all that and so much more on today's extra large Philip DeFranco show. You daily dive into the news, so just make sure you're subscribed and let's jump into it. Starting with- Imagine you're hanging out in a state park at a picnic area when suddenly your crazy controlling ex-boyfriend shows up and tackles you to the ground. Because that's exactly what happened to this woman in Pennsylvania who had an ex, Ronald Davis, whom she dated for four months, who happened to be a state trooper. they reportedly, while off duty, using his police email account to contact county officials and obtain an order to have her involuntarily committed. And this after she had sent text messages supposedly threatening to take her own life. So in a completely professional, disinterested fashion, he sets out to detain her before any other troopers reach her, allegedly telling them, I'll take care of this myself. Then, according to an affidavit, he picks her up and and carries her towards his car, but they end up struggling on the ground. And actually with this, a civilian who accompanied Davis recorded this 12 minute long interaction. I don't need help. I need to get away from you. This is not normal. Who just called the cops on me? You're a cop, you're a fing f- 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 insane. Like, and then you paint me to look insane as I'm sitting on the ground and my head slammed into this and that by a cop who called the cops on me. She then struggles to get free, but he puts her in what the district attorney called a wrestling style hold, and she repeatedly tells him she can't breathe. Meanwhile, she appears utterly bewildered as to why he's doing this, and anytime she asks, he just replies, to help you. With her repeating this one sentence over and over, literally dozens of times. Right. And according to the DA, the physical struggle resulted in injuries to her forehead, torso, back, arms, and lower body. But eventually, the uniformed officers arrived, they put her in a vehicle, and they cut her off to a mental hospital, where she is then trapped for five days. But eventually, the medical staff determining she was okay to be released, and that was that. Except, not really, because here's the thing. When she finally got out, the police interviewed her and took a look at the text messages in which she supposedly threatened to take her own life. And surprise, surprise, the messages actually appear to be hypothetical in nature and part of a larger argument over their deteriorating relationship. Or, as the DA it taken in context the text revealed her frustration with trooper davis and his controlling behavior not a true desire to harm herself and in addition to that she told police that davis actually said to her i know you're not crazy I'll paint you as crazy prior to having her committed. And so now the tables have turned because Davis has now been arrested on several charges, including strangulation, assault, and false imprisonment. And then Mr. Beast is even more successful than you thought he was. So my spidey senses are saying that even what we're gonna talk about today, it it only scratches the surface of how big he is and is going to be. And I say that because Forbes just put out its top creators of 2023 list and he was on the top by a landslide, which is really saying something because they noted the 50 creators on this list harnessed their combined 2.6 billion followers to haul in an estimated $700 million in earnings, which is notably up more than 20% from 2022's $570 million. And this is brands are expected to spend a whopping $21 billion in creator marketing this year, which is why you had Forbes adding that these people are calling the shots in entertainment and advertising, and perhaps no one has more power on that front than Mr. Beast. With Forbes reporting he had $82 million in earnings this year, which again, I'm talking out of my ass here, it feels like it could be an undercount. Between I mean, not only the videos and the sponsorships, he has the clothing, he had, well, the Mr. Beast burger thing is a uh, really messy right now but he has his chocolate company and the size of this guy's audience is something we very rarely have seen like the guy's allergic to putting out videos that get less than 100 million views on his main channel and it's really not a publicly known thing how many things mr beast has his hands in. i mean y'all even look at the article itself forbes had to include a disclosure when talking about mr Beast saying hey he's also slated to be a member of the Forbes board when a planned sale of the company is completed. It's insane, he's everywhere. You know, even with that $84 million estimate, that was more than double any other creator on the list. Because in terms of estimated earnings behind him, you had Rhett and Ling, Preston Plays, and Ryan's World, with them coming in at $35 million each. Although uh, the Forbes list wasn't just about money, it also weighed other things like follower count, engagement levels, and more. Which is actually why you had KSI in second place, even with $24 million in estimated earnings. Followed by the likes of Jake Paul, Charlie D'Amelio, and Logan Paul. You also have people like Matt Wright, in the top 10, which I mean, I haven't seen a come up in stand up comedy like his in a long time. And that's just barely scratching the surface. The list also includes a slew of other big names like Bella Porch, Markiplier, Alex Cooper, Kai Cenat. If you're interested, I definitely recommend checking out the list, because it really captures just a wide array of creators, with just so many touching on so many different spheres and businesses. And then we've got to talk about what happened in Philadelphia yesterday, because right, last night, a large crowd of people gathered in Philadelphia's center city, and some of them began looting stores and damaging property, with videos showing people running in and out of an Apple store, then a nearby Foot Locker and Lulule. with that looting reportedly beginning shortly after the end of a peaceful protest regarding a judge's dismissal of the charges against the cop who shot and killed 27-year-old Eddie Irizarry. However, the interim police commissioner, John Stanford, said the police do not believe that the looters were connected to the protest, instead saying, what we had tonight was a bunch of criminal opportunists take advantage of a situation and make an attempt to destroy our city. The protest near City Hall in the Center City area wrapped up around 7.30 p.m. and then police reportedly started receiving reports of stores being broken into around eight. The problems were also not limited to just Center City. The looting reportedly extended to the city's Cobbs Creek area, one business in Winfield had a car slammed into their building. police reported a caravan of vehicles going from location to location spreading the looting further throughout the city. And as of this morning police were still unsure how many businesses were affected by the looting last night, but at least 20 arrests have been made so far. Also this morning you saw Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney thanking the police for their work overnight and saying this was a sickening display of opportunistic criminal activity and we will not stand for it. With investigators still looking for others involved in the looting and Stanford saying we made arrests and we will continue to make arrests until we have all of the individuals or a number of the individuals that have been responsible for what we've seen tonight in custody. And then the writer's strike is officially over and I imagine no one is happier than the wives of my writer friends. And by that, I mean the one I'm talking about you, Mike. You're a lot to deal with and 148 days is a lot of days. But for every one of those days, writers risked their livelihoods and they stood out on those picket lines. And now not only were they successful, did they secure a deal? They secured a pretty historic one with outlets like Variety calling it far richer and more comprehensive than most industry observers would have predicted last spring. And The Verge even saying it has the power to change how Hollywood works. Now, with that said, there is a lot in this contract, so I'm gonna link down to the WGA summary in the description, but we we gotta talk about some of the major highlights. Regarding wages, most minimum pay rates will increase by 5% this year, 4% next year, and 3.5% in 2025, though some minimums have a smaller increase, mostly by 3% each year. There's also weekly pay increases for staff writers and writer producers. Then, regarding AI, one of the most contentious issues on the table, the contract established that, quote, AI can't write or rewrite literary material, and AI-generated material will not be considered source material under the MBA, meaning that AI-generated material can't be used to undermine a writer's credit or separated rights. Also, on top of that, a writer can choose to use AI when writing as long as it's approved by and in line with company policies, but a studio cannot force a writer to use AI. Studios must also disclose if any materials given to a writer have been generated by AI, and the WGA reserves the right to assert that exploitation of writer's material to train AI is prohibited by the contract. Writers also secured minimum staffing requirements, which were a big part of the fight, the shows have a minimum requirement of writer producers, and then there's a sliding scale for writers depending on how long the show's season is. Then, regarding residuals, which were another key fight, the contract includes increases in foreign streaming residuals. It also, very key thing, establishes viewer-based streaming bonuses, meaning that writers will get extra cash if the made-for-streaming show or movie that they write for meets a certain threshold, which is an absolutely major win, and the WGA also landed data transparency with streaming companies, meaning that studios will actually have to give the Guild the total number of hours a title streamed both domestically and internationally. Now, that data will be given confidentially, but reportedly an aggregated form of that can trickle down to memory. And I really can't understate how big of a deal that is. Because those streaming data numbers, no one really fucking knows what they are. I mean, like the studios know, Netflix knows the real numbers, but you only ever see those numbers when Netflix is like, oh my God, 73 bajillion people watched a show even though we're only saying that they watched five seconds of the show. Right, most of these companies just share made up metrics of success. With places like The Verge explaining, the streaming industry has thrived on data opacity, allowing an industry in the business of fiction to twist the story to how it sees fit with carefully crafted data. Now there will be real, actual, hard data available to the WGA membership and once the genie is out of the bottle, it'll be a whole lot more difficult to smush it back in. So that's why in response to this deal, many people have been celebrating all of the gains that have been made. In short, with this, you do have some people noting that writers did not get absolutely everything that they asked for. Also, that there were areas where the studios were met in the middle. But one, I mean, that's expected. That's what negotiation is. And two, the writers were also able to secure very meaningful gains on points that were initially non-starters for the studios. So a lot of these are very impressive wins and you have the likes of Adam Conover, who's also on the negotiating committee, saying, these are essential protections that the companies told us to our faces that they would never give us. But because of our solidarity, because they literally cannot make a dollar without us, they bent then broke and gave us what we deserve. We didn't win everything, but we tripled what they offered before the strike. And so you take all of that, and that's why writers seem largely thrilled with this deal. And notably, if they're not, members of the guild still have the chance to vote on it. It was officially recommended by the negotiating committee in both branches yesterday, meaning that the ratification vote will go forward in October. But again, like I said, the strike is over and writers can return to work during this process and still maintain the right to vote either way on the ratification. But all the reports right now say they are largely expected to just give it two thumbs up. And so with all that being nearly a wrap on the writer's strike, all eyes are on SAG, which will hopefully follow relatively soon, and uh, I will be able to see Beyond the Spider-Verse before I die. Though also, uh, to clarify there, I am just being hyperbolic. I, I, There's no reason I should be dead anytime soon. I saw some concerned comments. I, I am not dropping breadcrumbs. I am just being uh, dramatic, per usual. And then, y'all, you're welcome. And as far as why, it's because I'm here to remind you that this is your last chance to enter into the sweepstakes to win a brand new upgraded Hennessy Ford Bronco, or if you prefer, $75,000 cash. And all thanks to the fantastic partner and sponsor of the PDS, Ridge. Because Ridge has partnered with Hennessy for their summer sweepstakes, and it ends September 30th. You can enter on their site without spending a dime, but there's a bonus multiplier of two times entries for every $1 spent on the site for the chance to win. Plus, if you buy the new Hennessy products, you'll get 10X entries. Now, you remember, Ridge is the must-have wallet with RFID, D-blocking, it holds up to 12 cards and has room for cash and comes in over 30 colors and styles to choose from. And I don't just promote these suckers, I use them. And they also have the option for air tags for those prone to misplace things. Also, the key case is sleek, durable, holds up to one to six keys and it takes the jingle out of the key ring experience. So if you've been considering getting a Ridge, now is the best time, because if you use my link, that's ridge.com slash DeFranco, you'll get 10 bonus entries and 10% off your purchase. There's just so many ways to get entries to win, people. So go to ridge.com slash DeFranco and the best of luck to you. And then, Jaroslav Hanka is having quite a week. He went from getting a standing ovation in the Canadian parliament to everyone realizing he was a Nazi, and now, the cherry on top of this whole situation? Officials in Poland have now announced, in view of the scandalous events in the Canadian parliament, which involved honoring, in the presence of President Zelensky, a member of the criminal Nazi SS Galician formation, I have taken steps towards the possible extradition of this man to Poland. And that's because Poland has a well-known policy of getting their hands on Nazis to bring them to justice. Which, if you ask me, pretty fucking dope of them to get their inglorious bastards on. But, Here's the thing, it's unclear if Hunka will actually be extradited. And that's partly because he's nearly 100 years old and will be dead by the time the entire legal process ends. Although, notably, that hasn't stopped many places from still doing the proceedings in the hopes that some justice can be served in case they survive long enough. But also, this might not happen because right now it's unclear if Hunka actually did anything to Poles in particular, with Polish authorities asking the country's Institute of National Remembrance, which researches crimes against the Polish people, to urgently examine if Hunka did anything to Polish people of Jewish origin. Or because they need that in particular to have any grounds to actually ask Canada to extradite him. And as As for that right now, Canada's attorney general said that no formal request has actually been made yet. And until then he's refusing to really comment on the matter. And then (laughs) Trump committed fraud for years by lying about the value of that same real estate empire that brought him fame and the presidency. That is what a New York judge ruled in a just devastating decision yesterday in the lawsuit brought by New York attorney, General Letitia James against Trump. Or with that suit claiming that the former president along with his adult children and some Trump organization executives, falsely inflated his personal wealth by billions of dollars to secure favorable loans and other financial benefits. And in yesterday's ruling, New York Supreme court, Justice Arthur Engeron ruled that James had presented him with conclusive evidence that Trump and his fraud squad overvalued their assets from between $812 million and $2.2 billion. And with that, ordering the cancellation of business certificates that let some of Trump's businesses operate in New York. And that is absolutely massive because it could have enormous repercussions for the Trump organization. It will make it incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for Trump's businesses to continue operating in the state. Trump could also lose control over his properties in New York, like his flagship commercial property in Low Manhattan and Trump Tower. Though as far as what happens next, case isn't over yet, right? It still has to go to trial. But this decision is still absolutely massive because it establishes that Trump and the others committed fraud. So James won't have to prove that argument any further when the matter goes to trial, which is a huge loss for Trump because his lawyers won't get to argue against that in the trial. Instead, the scope of the trial will be significantly narrowed with the judge only deciding a handful of remaining claims and James has asked that Trump be fined $250 million. And as far as the trial, that is set to take place next Monday, but Trump's lawyers have already said that they will appeal the decision which could cause a delay. Meanwhile, this could also be complicated by a lawsuit Trump filed against Anger on, with that actually expected to be handed down by an appeals court any day now. And then, you know, the other week we talked about ridiculous government spending into programs that we know are a bust. And that makes it all the more infuriating when you take the time to think about how our government treats our veterans or even the living conditions of many military service members right now. Because actually with that, the Government Accountability Office recently investigated the life of the average American military service member. With them visiting 10 different military installations across the continental U.S. occupied by each branch of the military from California all the way to D.C. toward the base interviewed soldiers and officers and reviewed the Pentagon's records regarding their own facilities. And they found that in several places, soldiers are living in squalor. And that's actually kind of putting it mildly. With the GOA's report on this thing, titled Poor Living Conditions Undermine Quality of Life and Readiness. And it is filled with horrible photos of backed up sewage and black mold. I mean, just to kick us off, the report reads that one facility had, quote, a bad odor throughout the barracks. And it's not man smell. Investigators were actually told it was methane gas leaking from plumbing that was so old that pipes frequently cracked. And it's not like the officials at this facility didn't know this was an issue. They even acknowledged to the investigators that the exposure to methane gas is a health risk. Then one installation had to completely close its barracks because of an outbreak of Legionnaires disease, a type of pneumonia. With a report reading, officials told us that only barracks housing healthcare patients and thus subject to joint commission health standards undergo water testing that would reveal Legionella. And so with that saying, they don't test other barracks to ensure similar levels of water quality and safety because they're not required to do so. Which speaking of sickness, in five of those barracks, mold was a widespread problem. And we're not talking like a little mold. It was so bad that one service member had to go to the ER three separate times for respiratory issues and even eventually move to a different cleaner barracks, with their problem then immediately clearing up. And again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Some barracks even saw sewage back up in the bathrooms and overflow, The soldiers expected to battle this constant stream of literal shit with a report reading. They've had to organize working days for service members to repaint external and internal walls, replace ceiling tiles, and clean up significant sewage overflow. There's also more than just health concerns here, right? There are several barracks investigated by the GOA that had serious safety issues as well. Key systems like fire suppression, or even just basic security like window and door locks were found broken and never replaced. At one location, an ex of one of the service members actually broke into the barracks and assaulted someone. And many officers are actually chasing out squatters, in fact, During the tour of one of the facilities, GOA investigators actually found a squatter in one of the rooms they were visiting. And understandably, living in these kinds of conditions can take a serious toll on someone. In fact, in each discussion group led by investigators, the consensus was found that conditions of the barracks have a direct impact on the mental health of its occupants. In the report reading, for example, in one group, a service member told us about increased anxiety and panic attacks about living in the barracks. In another, a service member said it was depressing to come home to a dark box after work. And several service members said in the interviews that the state of the barracks contributed to substance abuse and even increased suicide rates for residents. And at one installation, according to the report, service members are responsible for cleaning up after suicide. And so with this, one of the questions is, well, how did it get to this point? How are the top brass not aware that many of their soldiers are living in squalor? And according to the GAO, the military simply doesn't have reliable information about many of the barracks. And that in part, due to their seemingly arbitrary grading system. So the military gives a condition score ranging from one to 100 for each barracks facility. And according to officials, facilities with lower scores are more likely to receive funding for maintenance and improvement because a lower score typically indicates the building is deteriorating. However, seven of the 10 military installations visited in this investigation had significant problems, and each one of them had condition scores over 80, meaning they were supposedly in good condition. In fact, investigators toured one facility closed for remodeling due to longstanding issues with plumbing and electrical systems. Right, officials actually deemed the building uninhabitable, but somehow, at the time of its closure, the barracks facility's condition score was above 90. This report also said that the Pentagon has no reliable way of knowing what's actually going on at the barracks, saying DOD does not track information on the condition of barracks or facilitate collaboration on initiatives to improve barracks. And of course, it certainly doesn't help that the Department of Defense is a black hole that sucks in billions of dollars that don't seem to go anywhere. With a report reading, DOD requested about $15 billion for overall facility sustainment for fiscal year 2024, but could not identify how much of this total would be spent toward barracks. So with this whole shit show, the GAO offered 31 recommendations for addressing these problems, including providing guidance on barracks condition assessments, obtaining complete funding information, and increasing oversight of barracks programs. And actually, according to the GAO, the DOD has agreed with 23 of their recommendations and partially Agreed with the other eight, and so for now we're gonna have to wait to see if that's just lip service, if things are just still shitty, they just get swept back into the black hole that is the Department of Defense, or they actually do something to make the lives of our service members a little bit better, maybe even borderline decent. But in the meantime, of course, I'd love to know everyone's thoughts, but especially if you have been in the military, you know someone that is whatever. I you know a lot of different people that are connected in a lot of different ways. I'd love to know your thoughts on this. And then genetics—you know, some of us are blessed with good ones, some of us not so much. I would put myself in that camp. But one thing everyone has in common—we all share the same. Base basic foundational needs like nutrient replenishment, gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. And that's where the fantastic sponsor of today's show comes in, AG1. Even with the drastic changes I've made in my diet, I still rely on AG1 to help me fill their nutritional gaps. AG1 is a daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Through a science driven formulation of micronutrients, phytonutrients, and essential symbiotics, AG1 supports the brain, the gut, and the immune system. And they invest in high quality ingredients going above and beyond to ensure what's on the label is exactly what's in the powder. AG1 is also NSF certified for sport, meaning it's trusted by top athletes for clean nutrition. And it's honestly the best tasting and most comprehensive nutritional drink I've found, making it an essential and easy part of my routine. So don't wait. They're giving you added immune system support with a free one year supply of vitamin D3, K2 plus five individual travel packs with your purchase. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a more comprehensive supplement. So go to drinkag1.com slash DeFranco or click that link down below. You'll get a one year supply of vitamin D drops and five travel packs with your first purchase of AG1. And then, so there's something that I need to just kind of communicate to you guys. I'm in this place where where our needs no longer align and our our relationship is becoming toxic. And so for my own self-care, I'm setting down a boundary and taking some time to process my trauma because I don't have the emotional space to give you what you're asking for right now. And if all of that sounds like complete and utter gibberish to you, you're not alone. With things like this new insider article documenting the rise of so-called therapy-speak text bombs and why everyone hates them. Everything seems fine and then all of a sudden you check your phone and there's this giant 10-page essay detailing every grievance, every broken boundary, every toxic behavior. What makes today's text bombing even worse than before is that it's delivered in that detached almost clinical voice known as therapy speak. It's vocabulary that throws around terms like toxic, gaslighting, trauma, triggers, emotional labor, attachment styles and coping mechanisms, with friends and romantic partners casually diagnosing themselves and others with things like OCD, ADHD, or a host of personality disorders. while things like this get attention every now and then because of high profile cases, very notably, there has been a growing conversation about whether this kind of language is really helpful. With, for example, one psychologist at UC San Francisco arguing that far from helping us actually reflect and examine our feelings, therapy speak often detaches us from ourselves and others. And saying, by virtue of being human beings, we're masters at distancing ourselves from difficult aspects of emotional life. And adding, one way we distance ourselves is through words. What we've got now is this kind of pop psychology language of cliches, abstract concepts, and turn of phrase that are so different from speaking from the heart. Instead of having to actually describe our inner experience or figure out the nuances of a relationship, we can hide behind these terms that serve as both sword and shield. And so you see these terms get abused, so if someone disagrees with someone, they're instantly gaslighting. If you have a conflict with someone, that's emotional abuse. Everything's pathologized, everything's clinical. Now that said, I don't want to paint everything with a broad brush. Like most everything that ends up getting overused or abused by some, those fucked up situations usually exist at the same time where people are actually benefiting from it. And I think that's reflected especially with a lot of young people that appear to have greater awareness of mental health and relationship dynamics and so-called therapy speak just kind of reflects that. Or because 100% confirmed, popular terms like triggered and narcissist do describe real phenomena. And they can help provide excellent clarity to people's experiences. With one author, for example, writing in The Guardian, if someone says they were traumatized by the pandemic, by isolation, caring for dying people, lost of loved ones, financial ruin, long COVID, is that not valid? If a young person is struggling because their parents can barely afford to feed them or with their identity in a world that doesn't seem hospitable to who they might want to be, might approaching therapy speak help them feel like they have more agency? But then also to that, you have critics saying one of the problems with so-called therapy speak are terms kind of get watered down. They can become meaningless psychobabble. So whereas like a trigger was a concept originally invented for the treatment of PTSD, now it's often used to explain whenever someone doesn't like something and reacts negatively to it. whereas treatment for actual trauma entails slowly and carefully helping someone tolerate their discomfort by exposing them to it in a controlled environment, today's popular culture often assumes that triggers are something to be avoided at all costs. And one of the biggest key things here is that actual psychotherapists tend to not use that kind of language during sessions with their clients, instead speaking with them more plainly. But a lot of therapy speak doesn't even come from therapy. For example, gaslighting, it doesn't even come from psychology literature. It comes from a film in the 1940s. And while there are different and conflicting arguments as to the, the rise of therapy speak, whatever the cause may be, many therapists themselves are offering more productive ways to talk to people. Like one psychologist who says quote, if you want a relationship with someone, it's a constant push and pull and conversation and nuanced understanding of people's behaviors and forgiveness. Sending a huge text outlining someone's flaws doesn't leave room for that. And so instead suggesting using I statements and focusing on how specific actions made you feel rather than the person's character as a whole. That it works much better. Also saying to say it in person or at least over the phone, not in one huge text or a string of texts. You also had another psychologist saying that sometimes you should simply adjust your expectations about the relationship. And explaining, I think you need to evaluate whether or not you're trying to fit a friend that is a square peg into a round hole. There are different roles for different people in our lives. And so my hope in covering this story is that you know, hopefully it's useful to at least some of you. Hopefully it feels like I'm trying to have a conversation about this topic rather than just trying to invalidate someone's lived experiences. But at the end of the day, I never really know how the words coming out of my mouth are going to hit those ears of yours. So, in those comments down below, I'd love to hear your thoughts, your feelings on this topic and news. And like with all the comments on the show now, some of those might end up in the Yesterday today segment tomorrow. And then, let's talk about yesterday today, the part of the show where you look back to yesterday's show where we covered a lot of news stories. We dive into those comments and see which stories stood out to you. What are your opinions, your feelings, your reactions, maybe even your experiences? Yesterday, there were a few stories that took over the conversation regarding the child labor scandal. A lot of y'all were just exhausted saying things like at this point, it's harder to list big companies and corporations that don't use child labor. People also saying, I have a hard time believing that there aren't cameras everywhere in the factories that those children were working at, right, For management to micromanage and therefore have a really hard time believing that they weren't aware of the child labor. And a lot of y'all were agreeing with the statement, it's funny how we universally see to say, but what about the children? But the instant someone says, yeah, let's do something about it, here's what we need, there's silence. Everyone is for the children until it actually requires adults to actually do something. Absolutely disgusting. There was also some more nuanced discussion happening, with people saying things like NPR's Fresh Air podcast had a great segment on how complicated the child labor situation is, saying that the sad thing is that those immigrant kids are sent to the U.S. to work those jobs by their family and feel a strong responsibility to do those jobs to send money back home. And arguing to them, it's safer than the situation they would have been in their home country and when the school tried To report suspected child labor, the kids drop out of school so they can continue to work. It's really a tragic situation. There's also a decent chunk of conversation happening around our impending government shutdown, with pretty much everyone noting that if it does happen, this is a Republican shutdown. That McCarthy and the Biden admin have a stopgap measure that they agreed to, but he's refusing to bring it to a vote, which likely would have the votes. And all because a few far right Republicans are holding the country hostage, and they can effectively do that because they can threaten McCarthy's speakership. And so most comments boil down to if the government shuts down, every member of the House and Senate should be locked in their respective halls until the crisis is solved. Although there, I would say that might constitute cruel and unusual punishment, locking someone in a room with Marjorie Taylor Green. She's going to walk out of that room a month later with like a necklace full of ears. And then finally we had a lot of people sharing regarding the Idaho schools disaster. i some saying, thank you for bringing attention to the issue. My kid goes to school here and while she had wonderful teachers, I feel the state didn't do enough to give them the resources they need for the classroom. Just the other day, they had to cancel school because they didn't have running water in the building. I know the majority of people want to help, but it sucks. The state just doesn't care. And there were a lot of people that shared their experiences there, but also it extended out Outside of Idaho. With people sharing things like my first year as a teacher, I worked at what was deemed a good school. And shortly after the start of the school year, I walked into my classroom closet to find the ceiling had caved in and all my supplies I had purchased with my own money were ruined by water damage and debris. And saying when I notified admin, I was given a sympathetic look and told, Yeah, sorry, we meant to mention not to use it. This happens anytime it rains. And it continued to go unrepaired for the remainder of my time there and shortly after. If that place was a good school, I'd hate to see the rough ones. And that is where your daily dive into the news is gonna end today. But for more news you need to know right now, I got you right here you can click or tap or i got links in the description and remember as always my name's philip defranco you've just been filled in i love yo faces and i'll see you right back here for more news tomorrow